Well, praise God. Welcome to our broadcast today, The Wonderful Words of Life, where for the next 30 minutes we're going to be studying the Word of God together. But before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist. Notice what he says. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We're thankful unto him and we bless his name for the Lord is good. Praise God for that. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. David said this, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice and hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We magnify you, Lord. We glorify your name. We're so thankful for all that you things that you have done for us, for all that you've done for us, Father. We give you praise. We thank you for healthy bodies. We thank you for strong minds. We thank you for blessing the work of our hands. Now, Lord, as we get into and as we begin to study and look into the Word of God, we ask the Holy Spirit to direct our heart into the love of God. Give us the wisdom of God that we need to prosper. Cause our hands to prosper. Cause our minds to prosper today. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. As you know, we're in 1 Corinthians, and we'll be uh, taking on two chapters today, chapters 8 and chapter 9. And the subject matter is Christian liberty. What is Christian liberty? And what is our responsibility concerning the freedom that we have found in Christ Jesus? And we have to ask ourselves this question, is the believer free in Christ? Absolutely. But is he free to sin? I don't think so. Is the Christian free to do whatever he desires? I don't think so. Does our freedom and our liberty in Christ have limits? Yes, I think Paul proves that in these next two chapters. And is it true that the more yielded we are to the love of Christ, the more free we become? I believe that answer is in the affirmative. So what the Apostle Paul does in these two chapters, he gives to us the real value of Christian liberty. And this value is the freedom to love others just as Christ loves us. So I think that's very important. Now, in the these next few verses, we're going to be following along uh, Paul's words concerning eating food sacrificed to idols. But as we study this portion of chapter 8, we must understand that the implications that Paul is teaching run far deeper than just the eating of meat. So let's begin. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Here's the key. 
Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And I think that's important for us to understand right off the bat. Verse 2, if any man think that he knoweth anything or all things, know-it-alls, do you know people that are know-it-alls? They just know everything there is to know. Well, Paul says this, if any man think that he knows all things, he doesn't know anything, yet as he ought to know. Now, remember back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you studied along with me, the principal idea in those two chapters was capturing, obtaining the wisdom of God. Knowledge, amen, is good. Wisdom is knowledge correctly applied. And so we're going to see here that knowledge is good, but if it's not tempered by love, it causes us to get into sin and it causes us to harm others. Paul then says in verse 3, But if any man love God the same is known of him. So, an example. Eve, her eyes were open to knowledge. But what did that knowledge do? She didn't have any wisdom, and that knowledge led her to sin. And see, this is the, the issue that Paul wants the Corinthians to know concerning the knowledge of what a Christian is free to do as opposed to tempering that knowledge with the, the love of God. Verse 4, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but unto us, notice this, but unto us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we by him. So in verse 6 we have the Father who is the designer of the plan of redemption, and we have the Son who is the executor of redemption. So we see right off the bat that Paul places the Godhead as overseers of our liberty in Christ Jesus. So that's important for us to understand. You know, we may have liberty to do some things, but we have to ask ourselves the question, does this please God? Would this please the Lord Jesus Christ? So that's, that's good wisdom for us to consider. Amen. Verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience, conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled or corrupted. There are people in the church who have a weak conscience. There are things that otherwise they would be free to do, but because of religious training, because of how they were grown, grown up, uh, what they were exposed to, there are some things that they just can't do without feeling guilty about it. And to them, if their conscience is defiled, that is sin. We need to understand that. But me... Commendeth, commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. 
but take heed lest that by means of this liberty of yours, you become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So here's the responsibility behind Christian liberty. Number one, how is what I do, what I feel that I'm free to do, how is that going to affect my brother? Notice that a weak brother his conscience, his mind may be defiled when he sees the things that we, in free conscience, feel like that we can do. And the issue here is not the eating of meat. That's not the issue. The issue is here doing something that the conscience does not allow. Now, there's some things that Christians do that they have their conscience free, they can go ahead and do it, and we can't really say, I mean, whether they do these things or not may be questionable to us. For instance, there's some, some things I know that I cannot do. I just can't do it. My conscience will not allow me to do it. And these are things that other Christians can do, and it doesn't seem to harm their conscience. Well, if my conscience is weak, so I, let's use this for an example. Say, like, I, I'm just recently born again, and I was uh, an alcoholic, and God delivered me from alcoholism. I'm free. I'm born again. I'm saved. But now I'm having a real temptation going back to alcohol. That's something that's just in me, and I'm fighting it just as hard as I possibly can. And so I'm invited to a dinner party by an established Christian couple, and I go to their house, and guess what they're serving? They're serving alcohol, wine. And that seems to be a very harmless thing. But for to me, it's a matter between heaven and hell. But yet I see this established couple who I look up to because they're, they've been in the Christian uh, circles a whole lot longer than I have. They've been members of so-and-so church much longer than I have. And I see them drinking wine and enjoying it. And so I'm thinking in my mind, well, you know, I'm just as saved as they are. And God did save me. So I guess uh, I guess it's all right for me to drink alcohol. Well, I start drinking. And what happens if I can't stop? What happens if I go right back to my alcoholic habits? And the next month or so, this same couple walking down the street, they see me in the gutter. And they looked down at me and said, man, I, I guess he just didn't have what it took. Well, do they realize that they contributed to my fall? And I say this on the basis of the fact that, yes, we do have Christian liberty in some areas, in some gray areas now. We may have Christian liberty. But along with Christian liberty comes Christian responsibility. There's some things that we just should not do. And I think that's the crux of Paul's teaching here in chapter 8. Let's finish out this chapter. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish. Now, this word perish means to destroy. It means to ruin. Are we going to execute and enjoy our Christian liberty at the expense of our weaker brother, who it's going to defile, who it's going to destroy, who it's going to ruin? If we do that, now listen to what what Paul says, verse 9, But when you sin so against the brethren, 
To cause a brother to fall is to sin against him. But Paul doesn't end it there. He, notice what he says. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience. You know what that wound means? It means to stab with a dart, to shoot with a dart. It means to hit. It means to cause injury. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. So Christ is taking this personally. So that's why along with Christian liberty comes Christian responsibility. Now, verse 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the word standeth. Yes, lest I make my brother to a friend. So Paul says here, if meat is going to cause my brother, going to defile his conscience, I'm not going to eat meat. Now, you may be at such a disposition, you think, you know, and with a clear conscience, you can go ahead and you think you can drink wine. Well, just think about that. Drinking in public. Somebody has their eyes on you. And somebody may be thinking, well, you know what? If that brother who I know is a Christian can drink, then I can do it. Well, he may wind up an alcoholic. And it's all because of your witness in public. So these things we need to be very, very careful of. And I know there's a lot of people that think, well, you know, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Well, let me tell you something. That may be true in some cases. But it's irresponsible for us to do things in public that are not going to bring glory to Christ. Now, listen to what uh, William Barclay writes in his daily Bible study series in his letters to Corinthians. He says this. He writes this rather. In Corinth, there were men who all their lives up until now had really believed in the idols and in heathen gods. And these men, simple souls, could not quite rid themselves even yet of a lingering belief that an idol really was something although it was a false something. These men, whenever they ate meat offered to idols, had qualms of conscience. They just could not help it. Instinctively, they felt it was wrong. So Paul argues that if you say that there is absolutely no harm in eating meat offered to idols, you are really hurting and injuring and bewildering the conscience of these simple souls. And his final argument is that even if a thing is harmless for you, if it hurts someone else, it must be given up. For a Christian must never do anything which causes his brother to stumble. And I think that's just wise counsel. That's just something that you and I as believers in Christ should follow. Amen. All right. Now, in chapter nine. Once again, Paul is talking about Christian liberty now, but now he's talking about liberty of service. We are free to serve, but under certain constraints. Amen. Praise God. And I know the scripture says, whatever your hands find to do it, do it with all your might. I fully agree with that. You and I need to be involved in the local church and whatever we can do to help, we need to be helping. But now there is a calling. There is a place. There is a purpose that God has given to each one of his children. And that is what we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And that's what we're going to have to give an account of. So we need to be busy. Um, involving ourselves in the things of God. 
But let's go back just briefly here in uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Notice again what Paul writes, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish or destroy for whom Christ died. And then he says in verse 12, But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So we have to be very careful that we do not offend or we do not cause a brother to return to sin, a brother from whom Christ died. Amen. And of course, we remind ourselves of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name, talking about one of his children, in my name receives me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. That is tremendous. This should cause us to pause with great caution. I am responsible for my actions. Even though I may be free to do certain things, I am going to be held accountable for them. So, once again, among and right along with Christian liberty comes Christian responsibility. Amen. All right. Chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. All right. First of all, Notice what Paul says. He says, first of all, I'm free. I'm a free man. I can do whatever I want to do. It's all within the limits of the law, both the law of Rome and the law of Moses. And also, I am an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to me and sent me. And I've gone on this journey, and I've planted churches. I've established churches. I've preached the gospel. I've got many people born again. God has worked. Through my ministry, he's confirmed the word with signs following in my ministry. And so now you're criticizing me? Well, this is my answer. Notice what he says. Don't we have power to eat and drink? In other words, don't we have the right to demand a housing allowance? Don't we have power to get married, to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles, as the brethren, the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it just Barnabas and myself who have to work a secular job in order to have our needs met? Amen. Paul said, I've got a right. I have a right to expect a minister's expense account. And the reason why I have this right, because this church here and other churches I planted. So I have, an, I have a right to expect to receive some type of remuneration from the churches, this church and other churches that I have planted and established. And then Paul, to further solidify his argument, he says this, Who goes to warfare any time in his own charge? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit of it? Who feeds the flock and doesn't eat of the milk of the flock? Do soldiers go to warfare at their own expense? No, they have everything provided for them. How about a vine gardener? Does he not eat of the grapes of the vine? Of course he eats. Shepherds, don't they, don't they take you know, young lambs or sheep out of the flock and use that for their meat, for their sustenance? Absolutely, they do these things. 
Paul goes on and he says, say I, they, say I these things as a man or says not the law the same also, for it is written in the law of Moses. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Now, does God just care for oxen only? Or does he say this for our sakes? For our sakes, he says, and this is written, that he that plows in hope and he that threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Do you garden? Well, when you plant that garden, you fully expect to eat of that garden. Or do you give all of your fruits and vegetables away to other people? Do you allow your neighbors just to come into your garden and just pick it clean? No, you plant a garden because, number one, you enjoy it, and number two, you expect to eat the fruit of it. You're the one that's done the work. Why would you allow somebody that hasn't done one second of work in your garden come and take all the fruit out of it? No, that's not right. That's theft. And allowing people to do that is wrong. So what Paul is saying here is if we have planted good spiritual seed into your souls, is it too much to ask in return for just food and clothing, just a housing allowance? But now Paul says this, and I think this is very important before we move on. You and I have a financial responsibility to do this, to pay the preacher. I've heard people say, I don't believe in stall-fed preachers. Well, then you don't believe in the Bible because Paul just tells us that the pastor or the preacher needs to be taken care of. That's the preacher's right. But now listen to what Paul says. If others are partakers of this responsibility over you, aren't we? Shouldn't we exercise this power? But he says, nevertheless, I don't use this authority. But I would rather suffer then allow the gospel of Christ to be hindered. In other words, I, I came to you. I didn't ask you for anything. I worked with my own hands. I preached the gospel. I went to the synagogue for three months and then finally left the synagogue because I was getting nowhere with the Jews. And I went to the house of Tyrannus. We're talking about his time in Ephesus. And I went to the school of Tyrannus and I taught for three years and I raised up a church. I did the same thing in Corinth. I was with you a year and a half and I never asked you one penny, not one dime. I did it all on my own. Amen. Because I did not want you to think that I had come asking you for something. I wanted you, number one, to receive the gospel free of charge. See, there is a responsibility when it comes to those behind the pulpit. If the only reason men and women get into the ministry is to make money, they, they, they are not equipped for the ministry and they are not called. How many times does your pastor, think about this, how many times does your pastor or your preacher go, without, go week to week without a paycheck? Maybe your pastor has to work a secular job to provide for his own family and his own responsibilities. And, he, and he's doing it free of charge. He's doing it because he's willing to do it. Why? Because he loves God and he loves you. Verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live the things of the temple, and they which wait or serve at the altar are partakers with the altar? Oh, yes, absolutely. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's the gospel principle. Amen. 
All right, now verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. Notice Paul calls these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Now we'll see what Paul means by boasting. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Notice his compulsion, his necessity. For if I do these things willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. If I are volunteering for these services in my own will, then the Lord would have a special reward. But that's not the situation. This ministry has been laid upon me by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am going to do it. And this is the manner in which he does it. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Isn't it interesting how money has ruined many a ministry and a minister? People get into the ministry full intention, but over a while money gets in their way and it ruins their ministry. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all. Notice that I have made myself servant to all that I might gain the more. To the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So what Paul is saying here, I've made the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, free of charge because my responsibility now is to fulfill my ministry and to do the things that the Lord Jesus has called me to do. Now listen to what Paul says here. This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. In other words, that I might share in his blessings. What is his joy or crown of rejoicing? You in the presence of the Lord Jesus. What is the ministry all about? It's about sharing the gospel, drawing people into Christ, and then enjoy them in eternity forever. Praise God. Now, Paul winds up in these next four verses. This epitomizes Paul's entire argument. Notice, and this is a picture of him. Now, notice. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Notice the singularity of purpose in the Apostle Paul. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Notice Paul is talking about the Olympian. The Olympian trains for years. He's on a very rigid diet, very rigid discipline. There's things that he, although it's his right to do them, he does not do them. Why? Because he cannot have one ounce of fat on his body. That one ounce may be the singular factor as to whether he wins the gold or he wins the bronze or is disqualified. So that's why he trains. Notice what else Paul says here. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so find I, not as one that beats the air. I'm not shadowboxing, 
but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I myself should be rejected. I myself should fail to win this crown, to win this race. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's doing this, what, to receive a reward from the Lord Jesus. So what have we learned? What, what tremendous two chapters we've studied. What have we learned? Well, we've learned that, first of all, we need to be about the business of the Father. And that business is the Great Commission. And if we're going to be a competitor, then we're going to have to get on the racetrack and we're going to have to run. Amen? The lifestyle that Paul chose required such discipline that I see very few men in this world that are able to do it. I'm one of them. He was exemplary. I'm, Paul was exemplary. He was a man that saw clearly the race for the prize and he played according to the rules. He never stopped. He would not be denied. He preached through Asia, Europe, even down to North Africa. And his ministry lives on in countless millions of us who are carrying on this race. We're running this race. He laid down a race for us to follow, a glorious path to tread upon with the destination in full view that the gospel to go around the world and end up at the judgment seat of Christ. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we ready to appear before the Lord Jesus? Have we run our race? Are we running our race with patience? Are we looking unto Jesus? Amen. Praise God. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Well, we're not dead yet, are we? We've got a many years to fulfill the ministry, that which God's called us to. So let's do that. Let's run our race. Amen. Let's slimline ourselves, discipline ourselves. Praise God. So that when our day's done, this is what's going to happen. An entrance will be ministered unto us abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I say amen to that and amen. Heavenly Father, bless the ministry of the word today. Bless it into our hearts. Enlighten us, Father God. Motivate us to do the will of God. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.